Dr. Brian Loritz is the teaching pastor at the Summit Church. He's an award-winning author of seven books, and he's spent the bulk of his ministry serving and resourcing the multi-ethnic church. Uh, Brian, it is so great to have you with us today on Takeaways. Thanks for joining me on the program. Well, Kirk, thanks for having me. I've been looking forward to our time together for quite a while. Yeah, well, me too. And you know, my kids love listening to you. You had the chance to speak at uh, one of my daughter's chapel services, and it was just fantastic. I had a chance to to hear you at one community church in Dallas, and uh, man, it, you just you just lit up the room and. My, my kids said, you know, Dad, if we could go to a church where preaching was like that, I would be excited to go to church every week. That's, that's high praise. You know, when a, when a kid says that, uh, <laughs> right? that's, I'll, I'll take that all day long. So. Yeah. Well, I, I'm especially excited to talk with you about this subject of identity. You know, uh, I have six kids, and they're trying to figure out who they are. All of us are trying to figure out who we are, and we've got so many voices. Your identity is about your race. Your identity is about your attractiveness or about your wealth or about your weight or about your abilities. As an actor, you know, I, I could have serious identity problems because I'm always playing somebody new every time I'm in a, in a role. What does God tell us about our identity and who we truly are? Well, Kirk, I'm really uh, excited and pleased uh, to be a part of this uh, much needed conversation because I think your question is not just the Christian's biggest struggle in life. I think it's everybody's greatest struggle uh, in life. Um, you know, there's this whole idea um, that the Bible talks about idolatry and the, and the idea of an idol is really a, uh, anything that, that becomes an ultimate thing in our life mm. that isn't rooted in who God is and his character. Uh, Tim Keller, one of my favorite authors and pastors, says that an idol is anything, even a good thing, that's become an ultimate thing. Mm. So it's something that I go, this is who I am. As parents, our kids can become our, our idols. Money can become an idol. Work can become an idol. Um, and what the Bible says about it is really very forthright, and that is our identity should be in Christ. One of my favorite passages, Kirk, that gets to the heart of this is 1 Corinthians chapter 4. Uh, the guy who writes it, his name is Paul, and Paul wades into this whole discussion because the Corinthians were forming their sense of identity uh, really around a celebrity culture that was rooted in kind of their favorite speakers. So in chapter 1, Paul says, there's some of you, uh, you say, I follow Paul. Another says, I follow Apollos, who was kind of his successor. Another says, I follow Peter, uh, who kind of got the church kicked off on the day of Pentecost. And yet Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, if you want to know who I am, he says, please regard me as a servant of Christ and a steward of the, of the mysteries of God. So Paul says, my identity isn't in the fact that I've planted all these churches or I, I've huh. written all these books or I lead all this stuff. My identity is firmly rooted in who Christ is. And, and the last thing I'll say in answer to your question, the reason why the Bible speaks so forthrightly about this idea of identity, it's actually for our joy. Anytime we place our identity in something that is temporal, anything in this life, it is bound to disappoint us. You know, some of the most miserable people on the earth are those who have experienced a lot of success in this life. They've checked off a lot of boxes. They've got the wealth, the money, the fame. And yet I think what compounds their misery 
is they're saying, listen, I've gotten all this stuff from this life and it's just come up empty. That's really the the whole story behind the book of Ecclesiastes. Uh. A clinical psychologist once said, if I had to render kind of a diagnosis on who wrote the book of Ecclesiastes, which is Solomon, who by today's estimation is a billionaire several times over, this psychologist said, I would say whoever wrote that is depressed. And it's interesting. Solomon says, I've had it all. And yet vanity of vanities, the idea of empty, it just didn't satisfy me. And so identity can never be fulfilled in this life. But it's got to be something that's beyond this life, which is Jesus Christ. Brian, let me ask you this question. You said our identity needs to be firmly rooted in Christ. That's kind of a a theological concept there in Christ. What, What does that even mean? The Christian faith is... Uh, really that we are not saved by our works. Uh, We're not saved by our goodness. Uh, Ultimately, what defines me is not my worst days. It's not my best days, but the fact that I've been saved by grace through faith. Mm. And I I think what that means, it's, it's incredibly freeing. So God says to Jesus in Matthew 3, as Jesus is, is coming out of the waters at his baptism, uh, God says of Jesus, this is my beloved son, in whom I am well pleased. I like that, Kirk, because this is the front end of Jesus's ministry. So God says it to Jesus before he performs a miracle, before he preaches a sermon, before he raises anybody from the dead. God says, I'm pleased with you. And so to be in Christ means God says the same thing of us, not because of our performance, Uh. because of what Christ did for us on the cross. That's enough. And so the idea here is, Basically, at a baseline, to be in Christ means I no longer work for approval. I work from approval. And so, you know, we live in what's called a meritocracy. I speak a lot to athletes, and I tell athletes all the time, I said Christianity is so antithetical from how you're wired and how you're raised, because from your earliest days, you caught, you caught on pretty quickly that I get a lot of applause basically for how I perform. You know, if I make enough tackles, if I run enough yards, if I score enough touchdowns, if I score enough points, then I'm accepted. The problem with that, I said, is at some point you're going to get cut by a team or an injury is going to happen or retirement's going Uh. to take place. And if your identity is based on those, those good things, it's going to let you down each and every time. And so to be in Christ means I am resting in his approval and his love for me, not because of me, but because of the finished work of Jesus Christ. Mm. Yeah, and, and that's something that we, we need to keep thinking on and, uh, and reminding ourselves because we can get so distracted by the lies that are coming at us every single day through our, te- through our phone, through television, through movies, through music, and all of that. Can, can, Can you help me identify some of those lies that distract us from our true identity in Christ? God is not anti-wealth. He's not anti-pleasure. He's not anti-enjoyment. I don't think God created the crystal blue waters of the Caribbean hoping we would never see it, right? Uh, But we got to keep the good gifts in their place. Um, So listen, I don't think social media in and of itself is bad, but the problem here is you know, we can kind of get into this comparison thing and go on Instagram. Um, my my son, I'm not the biggest fan of tattoos, but my 21-year-old got a tattoo that says, comparison is the thief of joy. Uh, 
And that's exactly right. So once I get on social media and I'm seeing kind of uh, everybody's best moments, something in me covets that and thinks if I can have that, then I'm of worth. Uh, that's a that's a that's that's a pitfall. You you sit in your kids' AAU basketball games and you watch parents not just enjoying but going crazy if their kid doesn't perform well or get the kind of playing time. Well, now we've we've identified. And, and idle here, or you go through a season of unemployment, and it's it's not just disappointment, which is understandable, which is understandable. It's this idea of devastation, and I'm questioning my worth, uh. which now is an indicator light that who I am was not really resting in God, but who I am was kind of resting in the money and the status. I don't think it's a box to be checked. I think every single day we have to become our favorite podcast preachers where we are preaching the gospel to myself in which I'm saying I am I'm not my best days, I'm not my worst days. I'm putting gospel distance between what I do and who I am in right. Christ, between what I have and who I am in Christ. That's what identity in Christ allows me to do. It allows me to keep God's good gifts in their appropriate place so that they don't become idols of identity. Yeah. Brian, I understand that people have an impression of me, and sometimes I can feel like I've got to live up to that. There is a certain performance level or standard that they're expecting, and I'm disappointing them if I'm not as happy or as funny or as energetic or as whatever. Uh, But I know that... Even though I make a living pleasing people to get applause on a sitcom or whatever it is, I know that my identity is really rooted in the fact that I am a child of God and it's Jesus's perfect performance through his life and his death and his resurrection that allows me to stand before God and have the applause of heaven, right? Because because of what he is and, and what he has done. How about for you? You've got a you've got a, a rock star preacher, pastor of a father, and I'm I'm sure there are times when you were the PK, uh, and maybe there's been other times that you've struggled to to shed off an identity that was not what it should have been. Is, can you share anything in that category? Oh, absolutely! Look, th- this is universal. So you know, you're coming at things from an acting perspective. I've preached many sermons, too many to count, where. I didn't feel like it went well. And then that Sunday afternoon, I'm moping around the house and I'm questioning my call as a preacher. And at that moment, I'm going, I think I think this means a little bit more to you than what it should. Don't get me wrong. We all want to do well. We all want to put uh-huh. our best foot forward. Yeah. But at whatever point I'm questioning my worth, I think I've just put my finger on the pulse of what I'm leaning into for for identity. So again, that idea of gospel distance um, allows me to kind of cope with the constant pressure to look to other places for approval and affirmation. Brian, if we've got our identity right and we know who we are in God, does that help us understand our purpose? Because that's the other big question. Not only who am I, but what am I here for? Why did why did God put me on the earth? I want to find my lane. I want to do the thing I'm meant to do. Absolutely. I, I think, you know, I've, I've got three sons. And from the time they were little, I said, listen, life really comes down to three big questions. 
in order. Number one, who's your master? We all have one. We all have one. Um, so you got to answer that one correctly. The Christian faith says, God, Jesus, they're to be our masters. Number two, what's my mission, right? What is that unique thing that I've been placed on the earth for? And number three, it applies to most people, not everybody, but but who's your mate? I think if you answer those three questions right, you're, you're headed on a, on a trajectory for, for fulfillment. But the idea of what you're talking about, it's really what we're, we're not getting into a job or career. Um, I would say the problem with most people is they have a job. They don't have, they don't have a vocation. Vocation comes from the Latin vocatio, which means calling. It's kind of that intersection between kind of humanity's need and my divine purpose. Mm. And when you have a person who is stepping into vocation, they never work a day in their life. And so I think all of us have a God-given desire for purpose, for meaning, for value. And yes, and amen, that is a great thing. It's like Acts 13 says of David, after he accomplished the purposes of God, he died. And I I want that. Uh. I want to be able to stand in the presence of God and say, listen, what you uniquely gifted me and called me to do, I got after in my life. Uh. The problem is when I lean into that for identity, that's, that's the problem. This is so great. Uh, We're gonna head into a short break, but when we come back, we're gonna talk about how living out our God-given identity roots us and shapes us for fulfillment. Welcome back, everyone. I'm joined by Dr. Brian Loritz, and we've been talking all about our identity. Who are we? Why did God make me the way that he did? And and am I all about my race or my gender or about my weight or my wealth? Or does God tell me who I am uniquely in his word? Uh, Brian, I'm I'm excited to continue this conversation. Um, Can can you tell us, because you know the scriptures so well, uh, what, what does it mean to be in Christ? As in, what are some of the descriptors that describe a person who is in Christ? Yeah, absolutely. You know, um, I, I would say the predominant image, especially as we get to the New Testament, is we are adopted as sons and daughters into the family of God. One of my favorite kind of biblical passages, uh, which really gets at this, is a well-known story. It's been labeled as the prodigal son. Here you have this youngest son who really disrespects his dad and says, give me my share of the inheritance now, which in that culture in that time would have been heard as, I wish you were dead. His father, huh? uh, having, having to be pained, gives him the money. The youngest son takes it off to the far country, uh, wastes it on what one translation says is riotous living, comes to the end of himself. And in irony, he is this Jewish kid, is a pig farmer uh, and says, I need to go back home. But he knows he's disrespected his dad. And so he says, here's what I'll tell my dad. Um, I, I want to come back home as a hired servant. I, I think he's acknowledging I've caused you a lot of pain. Let me come and just kind of pay off my debt that way. So he comes home and makes his stump speech to his dad. And his dad says, bring out the robe, kill the fatted calf, get the party started. And he says, nonsense. You're not a hired servant. You're my son. And I think that's how so many people, even Christians included, instinctively approach God when they've wronged him is, I know I've hurt you. I've done things I shouldn't have done. 
let me take on kind of this servant identity. Let me do enough quiet times, pray enough, give a little bit more in church, kind of be a good boy, good girl. And God is saying nonsense. Number one, your debt's too big. You can never pay it off. But number two, our relationship isn't this quid pro quo. It's not a meritocracy. You're my son. You're my daughter. And there's nothing you can ever do to actually change that. I actually think the language of adoption, Kirk, is even more powerful of an image than just having kids biologically. Because the idea of when you adopt a kid, you choose that kid. Um, I've got a mentor of mine who their adopted child went through a period of rebellion. And he says to me what made it particularly painful is just knowing that I chose that kid and they wanted nothing to do with me. So the fact that we are chosen in Christ, adopted into his family, and that is secure is a powerful image of what it means to be in Christ. There is no hired servant mentality. I'm chosen and resting in the beloved. But Brian, when I introduced you just a few moments ago, I introduced you as a pastor, as an author. So we do have these other descriptors that we use to describe ourselves. I would say, yes, I'm an actor. I'm I'm a filmmaker. So do those things not matter to us as Christians? Should they not matter or do they still matter? Yeah, they, they actually matter. Um, you know, those are roles. I'm a, I'm a husband uh, to Corey. I'm a father to Quentin Miles and Jaden. I'm, I'm also um, an African-American man that's been created in the image of God. I don't believe in anything of colorblindness. The issue is all of those things must be subjugated to the master identity of Christ. Let's just put it out there on the table. Does the cultural understanding of gender identity square with Scripture? And if not, what does scripture say about gender identity? You know, this is a very sensitive conversation. You know, our family lived in the Bay Area for for years and we're called to love everybody. But love is not this low cultural ethic of tolerance. And I call it a low ethic because I tolerate you is very low. Um, And our culture would, would, would send the message that love means you accept and agree with everything about me. Whoever says that must not have kids, right? Because our kids make choices and decisions that we disagree with, but I can disagree with you and love you at the same time. The Bible is very clear, just taking a 35,000 foot perspective, that the institution of marriage is to be between a man and a woman. Um, God says himself when he begins it that, that, listen, I want you to be fruitful, and I want you to multiply. Um, that can only happen in an institution that is between a man and a woman. And so our biblical convictions are firm and fixed. For the, for the believer, our, our sense of authority is not inward. It's outward and upward, rooted in the word of God. Uh-huh. The problem is, is that we live in a culture where people look inward for authority. Right. And that's the huge disconnect. So there's this tension we as Christians have to have to navigate. On the one hand, we want to show incredible compassion, incredible love to people. But on the other hand, we we want to be people who are are rooted in the word of God. Last thing I'll say along these lines, it's what John said when he saw Jesus, I saw a man full of grace and truth. 
And to be Christians, mean it means that we kind of incarnate those two things. And oftentimes, people won't be open to the truth that we have in Christ until they first feel grace from us. Mm. You're a black man. I'm a white man. But sometimes these, uh, these conversations are awkward for us, and especially as Christians, because we want our speech to be seasoned with grace, and we get confused. Um, should we be... Should I refer to you as a black man? Or is that putting too much weight on the color of your skin or your heritage? Uh, Should we just say, no, you're a man, I'm a man. You've just got some more melanin in your skin than I do. Because the truth is, you're really not black. You're a shade of brown and I'm really not white. I'm actually just a kind of a shade of pink. Uh, How should we deal with the color and race thing? that, that, that always gets me confused because I thought there was just one race, the human race, but then that sounds like you're being insensitive to the issues of a black man or uh, right. an Asian person or whatever. What, what do you think right. about that? Yeah, so the, the call in the Bible, Kirk, is that you and I would walk together in unity. And, um, and unity is not this uniformity. Um, unity is really getting to know who we are, uh, getting to know our unique stories, but what bonds us together, again, is this whole idea of being in Christ. If you want oneness with me, Kirk, as a black man in the United States, there's some experiences that I've had. Now, I don't allow those experiences to become my ultimate identity, but it is a part of how I've been framed and my perspective and my shape. I don't think you and I can have a deep relationship without you hearing that perspective. On the other hand, I push back on some of my African-American brothers and sisters who who subscribe to what I call ethnic idolatry, where now because that's the number one thing we shut down that anybody white is automatically wrong and I've just judged you and I've made assumptions about you. That's no way uh, towards a relationship either. So it's that tight rope of hearing my story, but not being defined by those things as well. What can parents and grandparents be doing uh, with the time that they have with their little ones to help them root their identity in Christ and not in these lesser things? So there's three institutions God has created for human flourishing in order. The first institution he creates is the family. That's Genesis chapter two. Later on in Genesis, he creates an institution called the government. The government exists uh, for the good of the people. And then the third institution is, is the church. Uh, And so one of the primary mechanisms God uses to change and transform the world is this thing called the family. And what that means as parents, grandparents, is we are called to the discipleship of our kids and our grandkids, Uh, Uh, which means I got a constant. I mean, that's Deuteronomy chapter six, uh, where God says, hero Israel, the Lord, our God, the Lord is one. I want you to talk of these things in every facet of your life as you're walking, as you're sitting down. We're to create an atmosphere, a greenhouse of just the word of God and rooting them in that. And I think that's very important. Whatever your school choice is, some of your listeners are homeschoolers. Others are big into Christian school, public school. That's great. But I would say we don't outsource that responsibility to the youth pastor. We don't outsource it to the to the schools. That's our responsibility. Those other institutions, especially if they're Christian, they can supplement it. But I'm responsible for teaching it both with my mouth and with my life. 
Um, and so I would say that's a huge responsibility that we must embrace. Hi, I'm Kirk Cameron. Thanks for listening to this episode of Takeaways. If you love the conversations that we're having, please follow or subscribe to this podcast to never miss any of this great content. And please consider leaving a positive rating and a review to help others like you discover this show.